the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You and I are made holy in the sense that the literal definition for, for hagios means that, that we're set apart and, and that when, when we are justified by faith, God then, as far as he's concerned, positionally sets us apart as belonging unto him. So in that sense, we are positionally made righteous and holy in his sight. Again, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's all what God does for us. He sanctifies us. So we are positionally made holy before him. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Timothy. As believers and followers of Christ, we've been made holy, sanctified, and set apart for the Lord. However, as many of us would be quick to agree, it doesn't take very long for us to feel otherwise, seeing as how we fall short of God's standard each and every day. In today's message, Pastor Gary will teach you what it means to have been made holy and righteous before God. In his study, you'll learn that as a believer, you've been positionally recognized as holy, righteous, and set apart in the eyes of God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When we exercise our faith in response to what Christ has done for us on the cross, we're now justified by God, all right? So a simple way that, that I've always remembered that from Bible school is just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way that God sees you now, because when you come to him through faith in what Christ has done for you, you're justified. And when he looks at, when God looks at you, it's just as if I'd never sinned, because now I take on the righteousness of Christ imputed to me. I didn't earn, didn't deserve. It's not of myself. It's given to me. It's the righteousness of God given to me. So just as if I'd never sinned. So, so my son Austin a few years ago was, was at Liberty in Bible, uh, getting his Bible degree, and so he, he called me one day and was talking about justification, and I said, hey, hey, use this simple definition in your paper that I always learn in Bible school, just as if I'd never sinned. So he did. His professor shredded him over that. <laughs> so that's, that's not a very good way to understand the word justification. So anyway, I leave it with you, irrespective of what... One little professor said at Liberty University, because <laughs> it's always helped me to understand it. And so, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, he, maybe he's not saved. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, I just like, so he doesn't really know what justified is. Anyhow, that's my take on it, but we'll move on. 
I'm sure he's saved. It's a great school. I'm just kidding. So justification. So that's the idea of having been. So that's the past tense part of our salvation. I have been justified. You exercise faith. That's not a progressive thing. That happens when you, when you exercise faith in response to what Christ has done for you on the cross, you're justified by God. It's not, it's not like God is sitting up in heaven going, to give, give me a few years on this, and then I'll, I'll think about it with you. You know, because I'm not sure you, you really, I'm not, all the stuff you've done, I'll justify you one day, but right now you're just not worthy of justification. It, it's, a, it's an instantaneous thing that God does for us because of our faith in what Christ has done for us. Then the other term to understand, though, is sanctification, because this is where it becomes this progressive tense, and, but I need to point out that it is both a position, 1 Corinthians 6.11, and a process. Hebrews 10, 14, whereby the believer moves from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity over time as he or she learns God's word and makes good choices to live God's will. So uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11 uh, says this, you were washed, you were sanctified, there's that word sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Sanctification is basically a word, uh, hagios, which means holy. And you and I are made holy in the sense that the literal definition for, for hagios means that, that we're set apart and, and that when, when we are justified by faith, God then, as far as he's concerned, positionally sets us apart as belonging unto him. So in that sense, we are positionally made righteous and holy in his sight. Again, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, it's all what God does for us. He sanctifies us. So we are positionally made holy before Him. But it's interesting to note, though, that Hebrews 10.14 says this, because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And it's, and it's intentionally written to us in the original Greek language in the, in the present passive tense of hagios again, and it shows an ongoing progress. In other words, holiness is not just a position whereby God separates you as belonging unto him and sees you as holy. It is now a progress whereby you live out holiness unto the Lord. Now, I, I know some people disagree. I've been in some church services where, where people put dates on sanctification. People will say, you know, I was, I was saved in 1973, and I was sanctified in 1975. And I'm like, wow. Like, you, like you, you haven't been sinned since 1975? Like, you're perfect now, and you're holy? But there are some people who actually believe that and believe that that's the way Scripture presents sanctification. But I would just respectfully disagree that it speaks of it as both a position and a process, and again, reading Hebrews 10, 14, it makes it clear that, that we are being made holy. Now, how is it that we're being made holy? It's because our salvation is something we work out, and as we mature in our faith, we become aware of some things, convicted about some things, and obedient about some things. You know, when you first get saved, there's some stuff that God has to clean up. You know, the good, the good thing is God never expects you to clean up your act and then come to him. If that, if that were the case, none of us would ever be clean enough to be accepted. But what God does want from us, though, is in response to his love for us and the salvation that has been granted to us 
through Christ is that when we come to him in all of our mess and brokenness and sinfulness and our past and how, and how messy everything is, that when we come to him with all that and, he, and, and then we get saved, now, little by little, it's like removing layers of an onion. He's going to begin to show you now. I want you, I want you, to, I want you to start to clean up your mouth. I want you to start to clean up your mouth, okay? Now I want you to start to clean up your eyes. I want you to start to clean up your friends. I want you to start, you know, where you, where you hang out with, the places you go and things you, I want you to stop sleeping with your boyfriend. I want you to stop sleeping with your girlfriend. You know, and all these things begin to be exposed in our hearts. And that requires then obedience in response to, to his love for us that we would grow in sanctification. We would grow in holiness because it's this maturing process where we're leaving the infancy of our salvation and we're moving on to maturity in our our salvation. Does everybody understand this? So the, the, God calls us, and he's going to talk here further down in this chapter, if we ever get to it tonight. He's going to, he's going to talk further, and he's, and he's going to even say, well, just, just take a quick glance at verse 14. And he says, keep reminding them of these things, and he says, warn them. Warn them. And, and he's going to go on in the rest of the chapter talking about warning about things that they're saying and then things that they're doing. And he's going to talk even further down uh, in verse uh, 22. Flee the evil desires of youth. King, King James says flee youthful lusts. ESV talks about uh, passions in verse 22. So, so he's, he's going to talk about, listen, there's a responsibility that every Christian has of not just responding to God's love and the message of the cross and exercising faith, but now having done that, to walk in holiness out of reverence for God. And as God begins to expose things in your heart and in your life, you begin to give those over to the Lord, and you begin to walk more and more in holiness, and that sanctification is progressive in that sense. But then there's, a, there's another term that the Bible speaks of, and that's, that's this future tense of our salvation. That's glorification. Glorification. So glorification, by definition, basically is the final phase of the believer's salvation experience and occurs when he or she leaves this world, either by death or by rapture, and enters into the presence of God in heaven. And this is when we're glorified with Him. And the Bible talks about being glorified. It talks about getting glorified bodies. But, for example, in Colossians 3, 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And in Romans eight seventeen, it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed, if we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So there's the ultimate fulfillment of our salvation. So you have been saved when you receive Christ as your Savior. You are being saved as you work out your salvation, grow in sanctification, holiness. And you shall be saved when when we're glorified with Him and we experience the ultimate fulfillment of our salvation when we are with the Lord in glory. Does everybody understand this? So these are the stages that the Bible teaches and, you know, presently, if, you, if you've come to faith in Christ, you're in that sanctification time. When we die or when the rapture comes, then we head into glorification, and then you won't have to struggle anymore with your flesh and all those up because you get a glorified body and you'll be a new creature completely removed from the flesh, and so life will be absolutely glorious in your glorification because it'll be a completely new life without all the temptation and restraints and, uh, and, and all the other stuff of the flesh. All right, back to our text here in, in chapter 2. 
So, so he speaks there about, you know, I, I endured everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's, he points to glorification right there in verse 10. And then in verse 11 through verse 13, in many of your Bibles, it is in mine, it's indented uh, and it's separated in the text. And the reason is because Bible scholars believe that Paul is quoting here now an early church hymn that this is actually a song that he's inserted in, into his letter here, that this is a familiar early Christian hymn. And, and so we don't know the tune of it, so you can make up your own. Everything I uh, imagine has the tune of Gilligan's Island. But anyway, you can do your own. Uh, it fit, Gilligan's Island fits anything. And if you're too young to know Gilligan's Island, you, you, you missed um, probably really nothing. But uh, um, anyway, choose your own tune. But verse 11, he says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So, you know, look, it's, it's, the, the Holy Spirit can still inspire Paul to draw on a familiar Christian hymn, and, and it doesn't make this any less inspired. Uh, but, he, but he lifts... Some, some words that are commonly understood as, as being an early Christian hymn here. And, and basically what he says here in verse 11 through 13, first part he says, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. And he could be referring to a couple of things. He could be referring to how in Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus talks about, you know, if we are going to come after him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. There's a dying to self in order that we might really live, live with him. So he could be speaking of that in the sense of that's, that's our, again, our Christian uh, discipline of dying to self, living with him. But most believe that what he's referring to here ultimately, because, you know, he, he knows that he doesn't have very long to live, that he's probably referring to martyrdom, that he's, that he's realizing, it, it, hey, if we die with him, we're, gonna, we're just going to go live with him. We're going to go be with him. And so, you know, that's the ultimate reward. And, you know, what, what's the worst that can happen in this lifetime? We die and we go to instantly to be with the Lord if we know Christ. And that's the hope that he's holding on to. He says in verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So he's talking about the eternal reward. And, you know, he knows what endurance is. But he adds in verse 12, if we disown him, he will disown us. And that's not inconsistent with what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me, at New King James ESV uses the word disown, if you deny or disown me before men, I will deny you before my Father which is in heaven. And so he just restates that. If we, if we disown him, if we claim we don't know him, then he won't claim to know us. In verse 13, if we are faithless, this is, this is the beautiful part, though. If we're faithless, you ever, you ever done some stupid stuff and you haven't been faithful to God? I have. He says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. That's, you know, God will always remain faithful to us, even though we aren't always to him. What a hope. Verse 14, this is where he says, keep reminding them of these things. You know, he's writing to Timothy as a pastor. So, you know, keep, keep telling the people in your church, reminding them of these things and warn them before God 
against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Now, he's, he's going to spend a little bit of time here talking about words. Uh, if you'll glance ahead in verse 16, he says, avoid godless chatter. If you jump down to verse 23, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they only produce quarrels. So part of, the, of this latter part of chapter 2 is, is Paul emphasizing, listen, Timothy, you got some people in your church who are interested, have an unhealthy interest in words, and they just quarrel over words and terms and, and little, you know, Christianese and, you know, things that only, the, only Christians know, and all these words that then just become, they become a, an argument. He said, word, it's not worth quarreling over words. He adds there back up in verse 14, it's of no value, only ruins those who listen. Just, just words, just Christian words. Now, listen, I, I applaud people who love to dig deep into theological things. But the caution is, and you, you start digging into theological things, that all you want to discuss and debate are theological things. So then you start, you know, are you amillennial or premillennial? Are you pre-trib or mid-trib? You know, are you Calvinist or Arminian? Do you, you, and, and all that stuff, just they just become words, and they ruin people. I, I read this this, uh, to illustrate this, I read this, this funny thing I'll share with you about this guy who uh, talk about words and how words and Christians, and you can ruin yourself over it. Uh, so here's the story. This guy was walking across a bridge recently, and he, and he spied this guy who looked like he was ready to jump off. So, so, he's, so he, he said, I thought I'd try to stall him until the authorities showed up, or at least until I could get my phone out to, well, anyway, to call for help. So, so he says to the guy, don't jump, I said. Why not, he said. No, nobody loves me. God loves you, I said. You believe in God, don't you? Yes, I believe in God, he said. Good, I said. Are you a Christian or are you Jewish? Christian, he said. Me too, I said. Protestant or Catholic? Protestant, he said. Me too, I said. What kind of Protestant? Baptist, he said. Well, me too, I said. Independent Baptist or Southern Baptist? Well, independent Baptist, he said. Well, me too, I said. New evangelical slash moderate independent Baptist or conservative independent Baptist? He said, conservative independent Baptist. I, me too, I said. Calvinistic conservative independent Baptist or, or lose your salvation Arminian conservative independent Baptist? Calvinistic conservative independent Baptist, he said. Me too, I said. Dispensational premillennial? Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist, or historical, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist. Dispensational, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist, he said. Me too, I said. Unashamed, fundamental, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist? Or strict separation of church and state, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist? Unashamed. Fundamental, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist, he said. Me too, I said. Pro-life, unashamed, <laughs> fundamentalist, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist, or pro-choice, unashamed, fundamentalist, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist. Pro-life, pro-life, unashamed, a fundamentalist, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, independent Baptist, he said. Me too, I said. King James only, 
pro-life, unashamed, fundamentalist, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinist, conservative, independent Baptist, or the message? <laughs> pro-life, unashamed, fundamentalist, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinist, conservative, independent Baptist. The message. Pro-life, unashamed, fundamentalist, dispensational, premillennial, Calvinistic, conservative, and a Baptist, he said. Oh, you heretic, I said, and I pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> See, that's messed up right there. That's messed up. That's messed up over words, but sadly, I know some Christians like that. So stop your quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Verse 15 says, do your best. To present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, now this is his instruction specifically for Timothy as a pastor, but this is good for all of us to heed. First of all, to present ourselves to God as approved, one approved. In other words, one approved by God, right? And as I mentioned last week, Galatians 1.10 talks about a, you can only be either a God-pleaser or a man-pleaser, because in Galatians 1.10, Paul writes, For if I desire to please man, I cannot be a servant of God. So if you want the approval of man, then you're a man-pleaser. If you want the approval of God, then you're a God-pleaser. And Paul exhorts Timothy, exhorts all of us through, through his pen here, do your best, present yourself as one approved. In other words, one approved to God. Not, don't worry about what people what their their approval is, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Now, again, in chapter 1, we pointed out that he uses the word ashamed five times in this this second letter here, four times in chapter 1, and then once here in chapter 2. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, right? Romans 1.16, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and for salvation unto all who believe, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And one who correctly handles the word of truth. And some of your translations might say rightly divides the word of truth. In other words, who is careful, and this is something we're careful to try to do around here at Cornerstone, we're careful to talk about, to explain what the Bible says and what it doesn't say, and the places where the Bible is silent, we have to be silent, and look at at what Scripture says so that we can understand it, so that it's plain and that it's clear, correctly handles, rightly divides. It literally means to cut straight, to cut straight. You have to be careful, you know, when, you, when you're listening to Bible teaching that they're cutting straight. Uh, some, and it doesn't take very much to, to just go off course slightly, but, but even the slightest mishandling of God's Word can lead to heresy and has done much damage in people's lives over the years. So uh, be careful that you're a good student yourself of Scripture so that you can know what is true from what is heresy. And then, the, of course, here the caution and the exhortation that he writes here to pastors is that we better be careful. And we, you know, that's why James tells us in James 3, 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you who teach will be judged more strictly. And teachers are going to have to give an account to God for how they hopefully correctly handled, rightly divided, cut straight God's word of truth. And in verse 16, he says there, avoid godless chatter. There's that exhortation again about like speech, because he says those who indulge in it 
will become more and more ungodly. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to Cornerstone Chapel this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. for our weekly worship services. We get together to spend time praying and praising and diving deeper into the truth of Scripture, which, as we learn from 2 Timothy, is God-breathed. All of it, from the first word in Genesis to the last of Revelation, is meant to be read and studied and applied to the lives of all believers. We do this together each week, and we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more and get directions to Cornerstone Chapel by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can explore our common resources located under the Teachings Lab. These booklets go along with Pastor Gary's teachings through the Bible and can provide a new perspective on passages you may have read countless times already. You can also download our mobile app or listen online to more Cornerstone Connection teachings. All of this, again, is available at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary's verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of 2 Timothy will continue when you join us next time, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.